1: All right, we're going to get all into the NCAA tournament throughout the course of the show. But to me, the NFL continues to just step big footprint style right on the NCAA tournament and take over all of the storylines. We saw it with the NFL starting free agency right as the NCAA tournament was beginning. And then on Friday in the afternoon, after we'd already done all of our shows for the week, big time move big time trade the San Francisco 49ers move all the way up to number three and in the process send a signal that they are in love with either uh, with either Trey Lance Justin Fields or or Mac Jones now I understand that there are some of you out there that are going to buy what the 49ers are saying when they're like, hey, we we really don't know who we're going to end up drafting. And I understand that argument that is out there. But come on. If you are going to give up the assets that they did to end up where they did, this is a no-brainer. They have to know who they want to draft. And on Friday... I put up a question and said, which quarterback should the 49ers draft at three? Mac Jones, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance? The vast majority of you, tens of thousands of you voted, you said Justin Fields. 46% of you said the 49ers should draft Justin Fields. 32% said Mac Jones. 22% said Trey Lance. So, We are sitting, I think, look, I know we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament and I'm going to break down the elite eight for you and all that stuff. But I got to tell you, we are trending for something we've never seen in the NFL draft before, which is maybe quarterbacks going one, two, three, and four. And I know we're a month out, but this is a big deal because the 49ers are in love with one of those quarterbacks. Because everybody out there is pretty clear Trevor Lawrence going number one overall to Urban Meyer, Jacksonville Jaguars. Number two overall, and he had a great workout, made a throw that looks like, I mean, it looked like I saw Joel Klatt say it looked like he was throwing, our buddy Joel Klatt, that it looked like he was throwing with a, a Nike Turbo. You remember those back in the day that you could just hum, you know, like all over the place? Zach Wilson in his BYU workout looked unbelievable. So you've got... Number one overall, Trey. Uh, you got number one overall, Tr- uh, Trevor Lawrence. Number two overall, Zach Wilson. That's uh, the Jags and the Jets. And now you know that the Forty ers are in love with somebody at three. And you know what I told you? I said they didn't want Jimmy G. They were looking for someone other than Jimmy G. And I understand the argument right now, where they're saying, "Hey, Jimmy G's Still our guy." Yeah. That's only if no one will give them anything of value for Jimmy G. Because I think if somebody offered a third-round pick right now for Jimmy Garoppolo, he'd be gone. I don't even think they would hold out for a second-round pick, and they're not going to get a first-round pick for Jimmy G. I think the 49ers would give up Jimmy G in a heartbeat for a third-round pick. Who might give up a third-round pick for Jimmy G? You know, I sat around and looked at the rosters and analyzed it. I think the Broncos could, I think the Patriots could, I think the Dolphins could, because remember, they've lost Ryan Fitzpatrick now, I think also that the Panthers might. Somebody who's just looking for a little bit of a bridge, and probably the Broncos make the most sense, because I think Jimmy G might be able to beat out Drew Locke, and you're not sure whether or not you're going to be able to get a big-time quarterback based on where those teams are drafting. Maybe they'll trade up and try to get one of the left uh, leftover guys. But then you've got at four long-suffering Atlanta Falcon fans. They've got to make a decision. Are they going to do to Matt Ryan at the Falcons what happened with uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? Where you've got a Hall of Fame, I really do think, Hall of Fame quarterback in Matt Ryan. Not as good as Aaron Rodgers, but I think Matt Ryan's going to make the Hall of Fame. MVP, big-time passing yards, big-time touchdowns. How many years do you think you have left with him? And who's going to be available out there? You're going to get two of these guys still out there at four. Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields. Two of those guys are going to be there. Does Arthur Smith, new first-year coach of the Atlanta Falcons, love one of those guys? Does their new first-year GM... Do they decide to go ahead and get a franchise guy? Could they move on from Matt Ryan? I think there's a good chance quarterbacks are going one, two, three, and four. Then you got the Bengals sitting there at five. And then the other interesting thing about this trade is the Dolphins are still there at six. How committed are they or to, or are they to Tua? Because it's possible that one of those first-round quarterbacks is still going to be available there at six. Somebody might trade up for the Dolphins pick again and give them more leverage. Interestingly, we already know that the Eagles basically punted on drafting a quarterback this year. One of the big discussions was, hey, what are the Eagles going to do? Well, they're going to go with Jalen Hurts for a year. Is he the answer? I don't know. It's hard to tell last year, first year. Everything kind of fell apart with the Eagles franchise in general. So I don't think you can put a lot on to Jalen Hurts. This is his team now. That's basically what the Eagles were saying when they were trading back to 12. That Jalen Hurts is going to get, theoretically, a full year to prove that he's the guy. And if he's not, then the Eagles got a lot of first-round picks. Still wait and see whether they get a first-round pick for Carson Wentz for that Colts trade. And they're rebuilding with a young franchise. Or, maybe they love Jalen Hurts. Again, you're getting a lot of different stories just based on that one trade in the NFL. And I don't really know what's going to happen now because the number one storyline is going to become what are the 49ers going to do at three? Who do they want? They're in love. You don't make that trade unless you're in love. Kyle Shanahan has found his guy. I don't buy into, the, buy into the argument, which some people will make, that the 49ers just like, hey, we just know that we want to draft a quarterback this year. No, no, no. When you trade up like that, they know exactly who they are taking. The 49ers are in love. not They're not in like. They're in love with either Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Mac Jones. One of those guys. And it seems like we know... The Jags are going to go with Trevor Lawrence. It feels very clear that Zach Wilson has become the Jets guy, so we've got to figure out in a similar way for Sam Darnold, also what's going to happen with the Jets there. Can they get a value for Darnold? Will somebody give them a third-round pick, fourth-round pick? Do they just sit on him and wait and see? It still remains to be seen exactly how that is going to play itself out, but... Zach Wilson seems to have solidified himself as the number two overall guy. And then how far does that fifth quarterback fall? Because it seems clear there's five first-round quarterbacks, one, two, three, four, and then who's the fifth quarterback? How far does he fall and which teams might be willing to trade up to go get him? I mean, this is pretty high-level drama. By the way, we're going to talk with Albert Breer at Sports Illustrated who covers the NFL and see how he sees all of this shaking out. But to make a move a month out, they're not in like the 49ers are in love and Kyle Shanahan is finally going to get his quarterback. I just don't know which way he's going to go. None of these guys have played a lot of games as starting quarterbacks. Is there a little bit of a ding on Mac Jones? because of Tua's first-year performance. I don't think that's fair. But I do think some NFL teams are looking around and saying, wait a minute, you're telling me Tua was throwing to the four best wide receivers that maybe have ever existed in the history of any college football program? Think about that. Talk about an embarrassment of riches. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, who obviously wins the Heisman, and Jalen Waddle. If Jalen Waddle doesn't get injured, Devontae Smith doesn't win the Heisman because he doesn't get enough catches because both those guys are so good. So two was thrown to all four of those guys, posting unbelievable passing numbers. And I think once he got to the NFL, his early performance, I think of a lot of people, I think it's fair to say, are starting to reassess how talented was that offensive uh, system with Alabama. Steve Sarkeesian had it rolling. By the way, Najee Harris to hand off to maybe as good of an offensive skill set position players as have ever existed in the history of the NFL. Sorry, in the history of college football. And therefore, it makes it harder to judge when you actually get to the NFL. So, are they willing to go grab Mac Jones or is there a concern, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but is there a concern that the system was so good at Alabama under Steve Sarkeesian that maybe Mac Jones is overrated. Trey Lance, not high-level competition. Hasn't played against a lot of great teams and a lot of great players, and he hasn't even played and started that many games in didn't play all last year. Justin Fields, also, really relatively short career as a starting quarterback. Even last year, Buckeye fans know only okay in some of the games came on and played the greatest game of his career against Clemson I was uh, at a at a I went to a dance competition don't ask went to a dance competition on uh, on Saturday my kids are in a dance competition they play every sport my wife's also got them doing all sorts of uh dance and so I was there with a bunch of the husbands We were watching NCAA tournament games in a sports bar at the Omni Hotel downtown Nashville. All the guys are Buckeye fans that I'm sitting with, and they were talking about how sweet the win was. As every Ohio State fan knows, yes, it stunk to lose to Alabama, but that loss to Clemson was so grating the year before interception thrown in the end zone all the questionable officiating calls to come back in the playoff and really put it on Clemson after Clemson had beaten Ohio State a couple of times good feeling for Buckeye fans also who didn't even know if they were going to be able to play but my point on it is Justin Fields was just okay last year a lot of people don't watch regular season college football your boy does I watch college football all day long on Saturday. I watch everybody play. And it's tough to gauge Justin Fields because of all the different issues with COVID, because of all the different restrictions on practicing and playing and everything else. But he was just okay in a very short season for Ohio State. Electric, transcendent, illuminating, illuminating, effervescent performance against Clemson, no doubt. But that was not the Justin Fields that you saw all season long. And then to be fair, against Alabama, I still don't think he was 100% from the hit that Skowski put on him uh, when he was scrambling near the end. I think it was the first half late in the second quarter in that game against Clemson. So I think there are a lot of questions about all three of those guys, but the 49ers don't have that question. Kyle Shanahan, man, he's got the hearts in his eyes. He is in love with one of these guys. Is it Justin Fields? Is it Trey Lance? Is it Mac Jones? You don't make that move unless you're convinced that one of these guys is going to be a superstar at the next level. And Kyle Shanahan knows quarterbacks. Very successful offensive coordinator. He's in love with one of these guys. Which one is it? All right, we'll talk about that with Albert Breer, also a little bit with my buddy Chad Withrow. Both those guys are scheduled to join us. When we come back, I'll dive into the weekend that was in college basketball, what, if anything, did we learn? This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
0: Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.
4: What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters?
1: Chad Withrow from the Outkick 360 is going to join me next to talk NCAA tournament, uh, NFL uh, draft trades, all of that. Also, in the third hour of the program, Albert Breer does great work at Sports Illustrated covering the NFL. He is scheduled to join uh, us as well and break down that big trade by the San Francisco 49ers. But. As uh, as we set the Elite Eight, and as we get ready for the games that are going on tonight and also tomorrow, which by the way still has got me all crossed up because I'm not used to Monday night basketball and Tuesday night basketball, um, and so many of you are going to be bleary-eyed because they have pushed back all of these games to such an extent. Uh, we've got Oregon State, Houston, which is a 7:15 Eastern tip, and then, and God knows how far they might push it back. We've got Arkansas Baylor, which isn't scheduled to tip off until 10 o'clock on the East Coast. And I know a lot of you out there are like, dude, are you kidding me? Because the USC Oregon game didn't end until late. And heck, even the Alabama UCLA game didn't end until late. Uh, And then they're going to nail you with, uh, with basically Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all super late nights for sports fans if you're a hoop junkie. Uh, like uh, I know many people are at this time of year. Even if you're not a hardcore college basketball fan, uh, you're still paying a lot of attention. And uh, and by the way, we got hammered in the gambling picks. That's not been a good run. Dub, you didn't have a good weekend gambling either, huh?
2: Yeah, basketball, golf, just all around bad.
1: It's so much better, I feel like, in general. I don't want to complain because we didn't get the NCAA tournament last year. But I feel like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is so much better because then you get – time to kind of sit around and by the time we come on on Monday we're like hey the final four is set uh I'm I'm looking forward to watching I mean these are certainly four teams that are playing tonight that I don't think anybody anticipates regularly being competing for a final four spot at least not historically uh in recent 25 30 year history uh Oregon State who has gotten on a run I mean let's be honest came out of nowhere uh going up against Houston and then Baylor both those teams pretty substantial favorites and based on the way they're playing, the team that I would tell you to bet on is the Zags because they are playing out of their minds. And I don't know that it matters who they play against right now. I feel like they are going to go 32-0. and They're going to win, go to the Final Four. That game is on Tuesday night. Uh, and that things are just on an absolute tear with them. And I feel like sooner or later we're going to get into legitimate debate about whether or not they are the best college basketball team uh, in the 21st century. Because I think it's fair to say that because I think there's an analogy you can draw, and I talked a little bit about this and probably will continue to build on this analogy, but Gonzaga feels a little bit like, to me, Georgetown back in the 1980s, by which I mean sleepy religious institution And everybody now knows Georgetown, but I went to college in D.C. And I would say Georgetown is one of those schools that almost has a bigger national profile than it does a local profile. And let me explain what I I mean by that in terms of Georgetown. D.C. is a Washington football team town, Washington Redskins historically. The team that most people follow, first of all, it's a transient town, right? So you've got a lot of people who are not from the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, Maryland, all the, the the area there. But Maryland is the team with the more substantial fan base. It's not very far to College Park. You're just barely outside of the D.C. metro region. You're not very far away. Virginia has a ton of fans, even Virginia Tech has a ton of fans in the D.C. metro area. And so Georgetown, because it's a small private school, has a monster national reputation. But they never really had this monster historic fan base in the D.C. area. And yet, because of the success John Thompson had with Patrick Ewing and Georgetown in the 1980s and then led into Allen Iverson... And now we'll see whether Patrick Ewing can follow in the footsteps of John Thompson and return. He had, obviously, Georgetown in the tournament as a 12 seed this year, but they kind of snuck in there through the back door winning the Big East tournament. But the question is, is Gonzaga the modern-day Georgetown? I think the answer is yes. Small, private school. I haven't looked at the SATs and the ACTs, But I bet the test scores are going through the roof for Gonzaga in terms of the amount of uh, kids that are applying to that school because March Madness is the best possible advertisement for them. And really, it was Georgetown's basketball program that really made the Hoyas a super elite school to go to because so many people suddenly became aware of of this small Jesuit institution in Northwest D.C. Because prior to that, it was kind of this sleepy school that didn't really have a major national reputation. But what John Thompson did was make Georgetown brand them as such an incredible draw that tons of people started wanting to go there, the overall revenues increased, the admissions rate plummeted, meaning they were starting to reject a lot more people. It got very difficult to get into Georgetown. And I bet the same thing is happening with the Zags. But what we are seeing from Mark Few, if he can manage to do it, is he will have over this past 15 or 20 years built them into an unbelievable team that has become a star franchise, basically, out of nowhere, which almost doesn't happen in sports anymore. And Mark Few did it without feeling the need to ever leave, which is pretty incredible. And he's 58 years old now. He's 625 and 124 in his tenure with Gonzaga. 31 and 20 in the NCAA tournament and he goes out just about every single year and so if he were able to win this year in addition to joining Indiana from 1976 by going undefeated he also might coach for another 15 years at an incredibly high level and already if he wins a championship they're recruiting at a really high level they could take it to a completely different universe and become as good of a program for a private school as Duke has been with Coach K, which is pretty wild to think about. Again, Mark Few, 58, not that old in the grand scheme of things, considering how long he's already been there. This has got the potential to really be something special if they can get it done this year we'll talk about that with chad Withrow a little bit who he reminds them of that program in general all that's still to come on fox sports radio
2: this is outkick the coverage with clay travis
4: What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters?
1: Los Angeles, which is now the city of winners, they can't lose anything in sports all of a sudden. If only they could go outside and actually play sports, it'd be even better. LA on fire. Dodgers, COVID, title. Lakers, COVID, title. And now, SC and UCLA both can't lose 7-0 and in the NCAA tournament, both into the Elite Eight we got a real competition going on right now between Los Angeles and Tampa Bay over which is the most dominant sporting city in America right now. Remember, the Bucks win the Super Bowl, Lightning win the NHL, and the Rays went to the World Series. All pretty incredible accomplishments for the city of Tampa Bay. But L.A. wins the NBA title, they win the World Series, and now they've put two teams into the Sweet 16, the state of Florida's college basketball teams, have not done that well uh, and so we'll see what ends up happening but they are on an incredible run such that I talked about this some in the first hour of the show I ranked all the elite eight teams and obviously we're going to give you some picks by the way we got two games tonight we got two games tomorrow night and I know a lot of you are bleary eyed as you're waking up with me today because the games are ending so late they're not starting till 10 o'clock eastern on the on the East Coast and even on the central time zone and mountain time zone, some people are bleary-eyed. We got two games tonight, two games tomorrow, but I ranked the Elite Eight teams, and Gonzaga has been by far the best team in the NCAA tournament so far, right? Nobody's really given them a run at all. Second best team, I really think, in the NCAA tournament so far has been USC. And those teams are going to meet on Tuesday night SC might be the biggest challenge left for the Zags as they pursue perfection. Because if you look at all of the teams that have made the NCAA tournament so far, most of them down the stretch have had chances to win or lose games late, right? So to me, Gonzaga has been the most impressive team SC has been the second most impressive team. Third most impressive team, and I think this kind of surprises people, Oregon State, right? The Pac-12 has been on a roll. And you look at teams, and oftentimes, like UCLA has played well. Mick Cronin, four wins in a row. But you could change basically a possession in that game against Michigan State in the play-in game and UCLA would have lost there and never gotten on this run that they're on right now. Houston was fortunate against Rutgers to find a way to win that game. They almost choked away their round of 32 game. Arkansas, that three from Oral Roberts could have easily dropped. They were fortunate to get past Texas Tech and hold on. Baylor... They were down, what, seven at the half against Villanova. They came back and took control late, but that was a real fight. Michigan, they were down five with about 10 minutes to go in the second round against LSU. To me, the three most impressive teams, if we were giving out a gold, a silver, and a bronze, if this were the Olympics right now, the three most impressive teams have been Gonzaga, Oregon State, which, by the way, continues to troll me on Twitter because they beat Tennessee early in the uh, early in the, in the in the in the in the first round of the tournament and USC. And I think Oregon State, you would have to say, has been more impressive than SC because I think, man, that's even a tough call because SC completely ran Kansas. And they ran Oregon last night. But Oregon State has won three straight games as the underdog every time. And I think they've beaten a higher quality of team in Tennessee, Oklahoma State, and Loyola. So that's why I've got Oregon State as the second-best team. And then I've got SC as the third-best. Dub, would you disagree with any of those three? I mean, those have to be the three best teams in terms of what's been accomplished so far going into uh, the NCAA tournament, right?
2: Yeah, I would agree. And I've been really impressed with USC. I really have. They've been – I mean, they don't look like a normal succeed.
1: Point differential-wise, they have been up there with the Zags, right? I mean, they have been absolutely dominant. Now, uh, to me, it's whether or not you can basically factor in somebody as being – in real danger of losing games. And it's like in college football, they talk about game control. Whenever they want to see the, the playoff, they say, oh, who's had control of the game? USC and Gonzaga and Oregon State, I feel like have been up double digits, basically the entirety of all of their games, by and large, that they have played so far. And so that game control component is what to me really kind of stands out and you have to give a lot of credit to these guys so far. So uh as we are, by the way, breaking down everything, we'll give you our gambling picture We're about to be joined by Albert Breer to talk about the big trade that happened in the NFL on Friday afternoon. We haven't had a chance to react to that, and I want to make sure that we break that all down for uh for everybody out there. But I know that a lot of you are bleary-eyed right now. I know that you're rubbing sleep out of your eyes because you stayed up late to watch SC in Oregon, and maybe you stayed up late on uh, Saturday uh, as well, and you know you're going to have to stay up late again tonight and again late on Tuesday. And all of that can add up if you're not careful, and that's why you need some great Black Rifle coffee. They are a veteran-owned coffee company. They support law enforcement, first responders, and veteran causes. These are really good dudes, which is reason alone to buy Black Rifle coffee. But here's the biggest reason. It's not just good, it's great. I'm drinking a mocha cold brew right now directly out of the refrigerator. I love it. You'll love it. That's the type of flavor that I have found works the best for me. But you can get on to blackriflecoffee.com and take a coffee quiz and figure out what is the best option for you. And that way you can get the freshest coffee in America without leaving the couch Get it roasted, packaged, and shipped right to your door on your schedule. You can go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clay and use the promo code Clay at checkout for 20% off your first coffee club order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clay and use the code Clay, C-L-A-Y, for 20% off your first order. Up next, Albert Breer, major trade in the NFL.
0: Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.
4: What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters?
1: Joined now by Albert Breer, NFL writer for Sports Illustrated. And Albert, on Friday, I mean, it just seems like the NFL makes a decision, hey, we're going to steal all the thunder from the NCAA tournament. They have their free agency going on in the first week of the NCAA tournament now. Massive trade, still a month out from the NFL draft. First, things for getting up with us. Second, I know you unpacked this in your column. Is going to be up on SI. Uh, tell me what happened here. So let's start with this question. Trevor Lawrence to the Jags is off the board. That seems abundantly clear what the Jags are going to do. Is it abundantly clear in your mind that the Jets are going to draft Zach Wilson, or is there still uncertainty there as to what they might do with the pick?
5: Uh, I think that there's... I'll tell you this. The Niners think they're taking Zach Wilson. Yes. And so... You know, really, the, the the basis of the trade was, um, and, and the really remarkable thing about this play is that um, you know they were able to keep a lid on it for as long as they did. Uh, but the basis of the trade really was, you know, the Jags are going to take Lawrence, which is no secret. And then the Jets likely were going to take Zach Wilson, and for the Niners, really, the process of the last of the last three months has been, are we comfortable? enough with the class where we're willing to aggressively move up. And, you know, when it crystallized that the top two picks were going to be what it looks like they're going to be, um, you know, it it, it became are we comfortable with the third quarterback in the class? And they came to that conclusion at the end of February. And that allowed them to sort of move aggressively here and um, engage the Dolphins. Um, And they were the only team they really engaged on this, but they engaged the Dolphins in early March and started working on it, then the Dolphins basically made it clear, we need to find a partner to move back up because we don't want to go all the way down to 12. So at that point, you know, a few days later, the, the, Dolphins wild, or the Dolphins wind up engaging the Eagles. And so now you had three teams, really, that had to keep the parameters of this thing under wraps until they were able to finalize it. So there were a ton of moving parts. But really the first piece you want to look at here. Is that overall quarterback situation? The Niners get done with the season. They decide we need to look at an upgrade um, at quarterback, and we want to find a long-term guy for ourselves. And then they had to make sure that over you know a two-month period of evaluation, um, that guy was going to be there um, when they picked. And so, I mean, a a lot of moving parts, Clay, and you know, I, I think a difficult process, but. You know, obviously one that's going to allow them to control the process over the next month.
1: Uh, okay, so they, theoretically, <laughs> running through all that, the Niners have basically decided we like, because as you said, it seems like Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence clearly off the board, mm-hmm. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. They have to right. have a guy that they love among those three in order yeah. to trade up and guarantee themselves. Yeah. So- how do you think? Who do you think that is? And when do you think we might become aware of it? Are we going to have to wait till April?
5: Okay, here's what I can tell you. What I what I can tell you definitively is they view they they view this draft as having five first round quarterbacks. So they do see Fields and Lance and Jones all as first round quarterbacks. Yeah. I can't tell you which order they have them in. I can't tell you if they're head over heels for one and not the other two. Uh, but I can tell you that they felt like there were five first-round quarterbacks in this year's draft. Um, and I can also tell you that this year's process is much different than any other year's process. There's no combine, no pro, no no uh, no 30 visits. They can't bring guys into their facility. They can't go out and visit them on campus. They can't work them out privately on campus. So the opportunity is to meet these guys, to get to know these guys not even close to what it is in a normal year. And that's why it was so important for them to get the film evaluation done first. So they think what they think right now, having done the film, but in order to keep the trade under wraps, the Niners really had to be kind of clandestine about this. So they haven't really gone through a whole lot of the process with Fields, with Lance, and and with Jones um, as they want to. Now, doing the deal as early as they have, allows them to take care of that process without having to sneak around doing it. You know what I mean? So that was part of the whole concept here of, of trying to do it early, make a determination if it was worth moving up early, and then making the trade itself early, was now you know they can go and they can vet all of these guys fully, both by talking to them personally and talking to the people around them, their coaches and everything else, over the next month before making a final determination on who they'll take third overall.
1: Okay. So what does this mean for Jimmy Garoppolo? Because I understand they're saying he's still the quarterback and maybe he can be the mentor for a year or whatever. But we talked about this, I think with you a month or two months ago when the rumor was out there about potentially Jimmy Garoppolo and Teddy Bridgewater. And I just said, you know, if they're considering trading you for Teddy Bridgewater, this is a total mess, right? Like you've got to be done. So is Jimmy G going to be on this roster in your mind? If you were betting, will he be on the roster for week one?
5: I would say yes right now, but I'm not 100% on it. Um, and I don't think they're 100% on it. Um, and here's why. I, I think right now they view themselves as the Chiefs in 2017. Um, and you'll remember the Chiefs you know, took a quarterback in Patrick Mahomes who was seen widely seen as being very raw. Yeah. They had a veteran quarterback who was um, an Alex Smith who had two years left on his contract and they had a coach and GM going into year five. That's right where Lynch and Shanahan are. And so, you know, I think it's sort of the same thing where they've got two years left on the contract with Jimmy Garoppolo. They've got a, they've got a roster. They feel like can compete for a championship right now. And they feel like to be fair to the players in that roster, and be fair to themselves and give themselves the right chance to compete for a championship in 2021. It makes the most sense to keep both Jimmy Garoppolo and the rookie on the roster at the same time. And they right now have the fourth most cap space in the league. So it's not like there's any sort of huge issue with the money that Jimmy Garoppolo is making. They've also been able to keep their team Largely intact, you know, bringing back guys like Trent Williams and Jason Barrett, and so I, you know, I, I know right now they feel like we've got a best of both worlds situation. And look, like the guys they're looking at haven't even played that much in college. Clay, I mean, you know this. I know how closely you follow the college game. Justin Fields has twenty-two starts. Mac Jones has seventeen starts. Yeah, and uh, and um, and Trey Lance Lance didn't even
1: play last year. Yeah,
5: yeah, has seventeen starts and didn't play last year. And so, you know, a big part of this, if you really think about it logically, if you have a team that you think can compete for a championship this year, like, do you really want to put all of your eggs in the basket? of one of those rookies, no matter how much you like them, or would you rather have two options? Maybe the rookie blows you away, but if not, you've got a guy you've been to a Super Bowl with before. I think it kind of creates an optimal situation where, you know, you you, you can go forward with Jimmy for the year if you need to, if you want to. And then if he plays really well, you can trade him after the year because you have a have him, have him under contract for a year past that. And so, and I'm, I know the way the Niners are looking at it right now is if somebody comes and blows us away with an offer for Jimmy Garoppolo, we'll move him. But it's not worth it for us to move him for like a third-round pick and put a championship roster in, in, in a state of peril at the quarterback position.
1: No, it, it's interesting. Okay, so that's all the drama just in the top yeah. three. The Atlanta Falcons with Arthur Smith and with De- Dean Pease, new uh, head coach, new defensive coordinator, new new regime coming in. Do you believe that they are locked and loaded for quarterback at four, or is it possible they decide to trade out? Is there somebody else that could trade up? What are you hearing yeah. about the Falcons' uh, chances and the odds, basically, of quarterback going one, two,
5: three, four? Yeah, I mean, I know that they're, they've are they been very locked in on taking one. Um, the question is whether or not the right one falls to them and if they like the, guy, the people who are available at four. Because now they're in a position, I'd say – I mean, I don't know if it's 100%, uh, Clay, but, like, wouldn't you say, like, <laughs> like I don't know, 99% that we're going to see quarterbacks one, two, three, 2, 3, right?
2: Yes.
1: So,
5: um, so, I mean, like, at this point, like, you know, they're necessarily going to have the fourth pick of quarterbacks in the draft. And do they really feel like there are four quarterbacks in the draft class? worthy of going, you know, that high. I can't answer that question. What I can tell you is that they're going through the process in a very thorough way. Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, their new head coach and general manager have been at every one of the quarterback pro days. They'll both be at Ohio State on Tuesday for Justin Fields. Um so they're going to get a look, um, a close-up look at each of these guys. Um my guess would be right now like Lance goes to the Niners and then Fields winds up with the Falcons. Um, You know, and so I think that there's the likelihood is that we have quarterbacks go one, two, three, four. Um, You know, but again, like part of the whole thing is the Falcons are sitting there four, and maybe they don't like the one that falls to them. If they don't like the one that falls to them, do they sit there and pick or do they trade with somebody coming up um, to come and get whoever the fourth quarterback is? It's certainly a, a really interesting situation when you kind of break down. The way that uh, the way the quarterbacks come off the board there, and, and, and how it could affect what the what the Falcons might or might not do, especially because the
1: Bengals sitting there at five are probably going to go offensive line to try to protect Joe Burrow, right? So
5: I wouldn't bet on that. I would. You would bet not. On that. Really? I think. I, I mean, right now, I mean, there's some buzz growing, in the, and look, it's early, right? We saw a month ago. There is a little. There's some buzz in the league right now that Joe Burrow is pushing pretty hard uh, for Jamar Chase. There with a oh. the fifth pick, and obviously he played. Yeah, LSU. They're, they're buddies. Yeah, right. And remember this: the the Bengals really pursued a, a couple of uh, of high end free agents on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, Kenny Galladay and Riley Reef. They got Reef, They didn't get Galladay. Yeah. So they went and they addressed the offensive line in free agency, but they didn't get the extra receiver to replace AJ Green. So you could look at that and say. By signing Riley Reef, they've created the flexibility where now if they really love Jamar Chase and, you know, it's going to make their quarterback happy, maybe it makes more sense for them to take Jamar Chase with the fifth pick and then come back in the second round with an offensive lineman.
1: And what interesting, okay, so regardless, we know they're not going quarterback. The reason I was bringing that right. up is the Eagles. Sorry to interrupt saying, you there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 that's good info because I was thinking they were going to go offensive line uh, after their inability yeah. to protect Burrow last year. But so let's go six, where the Dolphins have interestingly traded back up. It tells us a couple of things, what, right? That the Eagles are at least going to give Jalen Hurts a year to see if he's the guy, right? I mean, that would, that yep. would seem to be the big takeaway there but also that the Dolphins sitting at six, let's use your scenario and presume that the top five coming off the board are what we just walked through. That means there's still a big-time quarterback out there. Are the Dolphins going to be able to think about taking, let's say Mac Jones is there? It would seem crazy to take back-to-back Alabama quarterbacks, or do you <laughs> yeah. think somebody else might be running then to them to try to get back up to that six pick?
5: Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I you know, th- I mean, look, like part of the reason the Niners did what they did is like they they started counting the amount of quarterbacks and the amount of versus the amount of teams that need them, yeah. that could go up and like so you look at it and like really before the Niners made this trade logically you might have said the Eagles at six the, the Lions at seven the Panthers at eight the Broncos at nine would all be in play to take one. And so, you know, I you know, I, I certainly look at it and, and say to myself, like, if you're the Dolphins and you're sitting there at six, and I think they're going to give it a go with Tua in 2021, and, you know, somebody's going to offer you, say, a three or something like that to move down a couple spots so they can get in position to take the quarterback there, maybe hop over Detroit, maybe be a little worried that Detroit would take one, um, you know, then, yeah, I think the Dolphins would be open to that. We've seen the way that Chris created their general managers, managed assets, um, you know, over the last few years and the way they've been able to build up to all that draft capital. So I certainly don't think they'd be averse to the idea of it. It's just, you know, I mean, again, like quarterbacks coming off the board, one, two, three, four. I don't know that many people, a ton of NFL people, see Mac Jones as worthy of the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth pick. But there are people out there that really like him. And if you add that to the, to, to the possibility um, that you have, you know, the other four quarterbacks off the board, it could create some tension where the Dolphins could capitalize there. No question.
1: We're talking to Albert Breer, SI NFL writer. Okay. Let's go into uh, the biggest story I think by far in the world of sports, honestly, and it is Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson. And what in the yep. world is going to happen with him? I'm not asking you to break down the legal situation, But the conversations that you are hearing among NFL teams, what do the Texans do? Is Terod Taylor the guy just now by default? They really don't have a first or a second round pick. They're left kind of out there twisting in the wind regardless. And this is me putting my lawyer hat on, looking at all the different things that he's facing there. I don't see any way that at the absolute best, he isn't facing a multi-game suspension. And also that making it almost impossible to trade him. What's going on purely from an on the field perspective with Deshaun Watson, based on people that you've talked to?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for anybody to have a take on this without either, you know, a indicting Watson, which is unfair, or b not taking the, you know, the, all the allegations seriously enough. If you're, you know, coming in strong on one side or the other of this, then you're 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 doing one or the other. You know what I mean? Like so. Um, I think it behooves all of us to do what I think NFL teams are doing right now, which is to sit back and kind of let this play out. That's what the Texans in a tough spot because, um, you know, right now they're looking at it and saying, okay, we don't know what's going to happen with our quarterback. He isn't planning on reporting. And even if we wanted to trade him, it'd be hard to do. The reason why is because you're not going to move off of a 25-year-old franchise quarterback who's capable of being, you know, top two or three in the league if you don't get a historic haul in return. And I can tell you that there are teams out there that aren't going to be that, – that were very much in this that, you know, won't be able to get their owners to sign off on giving up that kind of haul given the circumstances. So, you know, the only way you get moved now is if some team just takes a wild swing, which I don't think is likely – or if the Texans were willing to take some sort of discount, which I mean, they weren't willing to move him when all these wild offers were coming absent this, you know what I mean? Like, so I think, you know, it just sort of puts the Texans in a holding pattern and it puts the teams that were going to pursue Watson in a holding pattern. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you're the lawyer, Clay, you can probably tell me better than I can explain how long this is going to take. I mean, these things usually don't, you know, clear up overnight.
1: No, look, we talked about this some earlier in the show, and obviously we've been following aggressively on the program. There's no way he's going to cooperate with the NFL personal conduct policy investigation. So uh, until we find out what's going to happen, either civilly, how many full lawsuits are actually going to be filed, I think there are over 20 now, uh, and then criminally, whether there's going to be any charges brought, I I really, if I were betting right now, Purely based on the scenarios, not assessing guilt or innocence or anything else, I don't see any way that he's going to play in 2021. I, I just think it's going to drag on long enough that it's unlikely that we have a resolution that allows him to play in 2021. And I, I, I just I don't know how it solves itself. What I've said, Albert, just so so you know, if I were advising him, let's pretend that I'm his lawyer, I would be saying yeah. you need to you need to pay whatever it's going to cost to settle all these cases immediately. And uh, and I don't know how many total cases there's going to end up being. But once he got them settled, that theoretically could take the criminal charges off the table, maybe. And if there's no criminal charges and you settle this case, then you can turn back to the NFL kind of hat in hand, say, hey, I don't think I did anything illegal, but I certainly have behaved inappropriately. And I understand that I'm going to get a punishment, get the NFL, the levy of punishment. And then once all those situations are resolved, civil, criminal, and personal conduct, theoretically, there might be a market. Now, for the Texans, the challenge is going to be that market's going to be less significant than it was before when Deshaun Watson had no blemishes on his character whatsoever. Because I'm sure there's a lot of owners that are going to say, hey, I can't now justify bringing this guy yeah. in as the face of my franchise. Some still would. Uh, but I think there's going to be several that would take him off the board.
5: No, I mean, I, I can tell you for a fact, I mean, I, I like, I've talked to, I've talked to a couple of teams again, that were very involved in this, that, you know, told me like, we, we just can't do it right now. Like we just, we, we have to, as much as from a football standpoint, we'd love to have him, We just, we just can't, we, 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 we can't make that sort of, right? we can't make that sort of leap um, until we have clarity on this situation. And so, um, you know, like I, I, like I said, like, I think it's, it's just something that for right now, I, I think the league has sort of put the pause button, um, not the league itself, but you know, all the teams that were involved have sort of pressed the pause button on this. And again, uh, another thing I just reiterate is, you know, Clay, it, 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 this wasn't like, I mean, this wasn't like, it wasn't like he was available before, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like every team that called the Texans, talked to Nick Casario, Casario said to them, you can ask me about any player on the roster other than the quarterback. So, like, they had sort of, they, they, they had kind of, you know, stonewalled everybody that had come to them in the first place. And, you know, like, if they were, you know, that adamant about it when the offers were what they were, I can't imagine they'd be more enthusiastic about trading them now that the market's been depressed by all this.
1: Two more quick questions for you, and I appreciate you, Albert Breer, uh, article going up. Do you believe that Cam Newton is the guy for the Patriots for the entirety of
5: 2021? I think they're going to bring in competition for him. Now, whether that's being able to spring Jimmy Garoppolo loose um, from San Francisco or maybe trading for somebody like Gardner Minshew and or drafting somebody um, at some point relatively early, I think there's going to be competition for him. Um. Yeah, they really like him. So, I mean, that's the one thing, Clay, like I think people miss that. Like they, um, you know, they had a really good experience with him last year. And um, there were some things that didn't look right, but they also felt like they didn't, like, serve him very well. And, um, you know, they recognized, too, that he was coming off of, you know, major shoulder surgery, major foot surgery, and hadn't played much football in a year and a half. And so I think the plan for right now is to throw them into a competition. I can't tell you what form of Cam Newton is going to come in 2021, uh, whether it's going to be the Cam we saw three, four years ago, or is the Cam we saw last year. The Cam we saw last year, I think somebody else is going to be starting for the Patriots. If it's something closer to what we saw in 2015 or 2018, um, then you know, I certainly think that that they go for, that, that they could go forward with them. Um, it's interesting just because I feel like he's sort of in the same spot as an Andy Dalton in um, in Chicago or uh, um, you know Ryan Fitzpatrick in Washington, where you know the team sort of brought those guys in as placeholders, um, where you know they feel like they can bring, they they have a guy who's experienced they could play a game with tomorrow, but they're able to maintain the flexibility to take a bigger swing if it's out there for them.
1: We're talking to Albert Breer. Last question for you. We talked about the uh, the Jets probably going to take Zach yep. Wilson. What happens with Sam Darnold?
5: Uh, so, like, they have fielded calls on him. Um, and I, uh, you know, I think if they had gotten, you know, an offer of, you know, say a second rounder and something else significant, I, he probably would have been moved by now. Um, I also know that they Preferred to um, absent an offer like that, at least get to see Zach Wilson and Justin Fields throw live. So that process will be complete on on um, on Tuesday. About um, a week after that, they'll have met full medicals on all the quarterbacks, and at that point, I think they would start to look a little more aggressively at options for moving Sam Darnold. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he wound up in a place like Carolina or even a place like Pittsburgh, where if the Steelers take a look at him and say, he's got a skill set that's not that far off from what Ben's was when he was his age, maybe we can bring him in here, have him compete with Dwayne Haskins to be the backup. And perhaps he could be our quarterback in 2022. That might make some sense too. So I I think the, 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 the the jets are going to have options um, to trade Sam Darnold, but I think it's pretty clear. The fact that he's still in the roster is a signal that they haven't gotten their price on him yet.
1: Albert, outstanding stuff as always, my man. I appreciate the time. I know how busy you are. We'll talk to you again soon.
5: Awesome. Thanks, I Appreciate it.
2: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1 800 GAMBLER.
0: I'm VIOSA and I'm MALA. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio, season nine. Love Love at first first listen. listen.